As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guests today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Science of Selling and this special edition for Women in Sales Month. Today, I have Megan Long. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Megan. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. You've had so many impressive guests. I'm just honored to be in the mix with such great sales leaders in STEM and other industries. Very, very humbled. I'm excited for us to dig into it. So Megan is an enthusiastic, collaborative, and highly driven leader with 17 years of industry experience, eight years of sales management, extensive buy and bill and contracting background with a record triple digit growth and success across medical devices, biologics, and pharmaceutical products, academic institutions, and the private equity segment. Unparalleled energy, strategic thinker to enhance culture, inspire train and propel performance in representatives and colleagues. That, I must say, is a very impressive bio. Usually it's hard for people to speak so wonderfully highly of themselves. How did you start your career and how did you get to where you are now? Yes, thank you so much again for having me. I'm excited to talk about what drives me and what drives my team and all of us cross-functionally to get that growth, get up every day and, and try to not just hit and exceed that number. My journey, I mean, and I'm, I'm projecting a little bit here because I, uh, when I interview people, I always look to, like to look all the way down in their resume before they even get to college. I want to know getting into the science of selling, we, our brains are fully developed by 25, right? So I want to know what was going on in that brain before we even got there. So I played a lot of sports growing up played basketball, lacrosse, soccer field, hockey, all of it. And so sports has become part of my core. And I played AAU club, all that that stuff uh, in high school. And then I was able to compete at, at UNC. I played lacrosse and had a great time doing that. And then you get to the end of this uh, journey where you're hyper-focused on just keeping your head down, getting good grades, excelling in your sport, getting accolades and your, you know, any kind of community contributions and volunteering. And to be frank with you, I got to the end of my uh, last year and I'm thinking, oh, geez, there's no professional women's lacrosse league. What am I going to do? So I think it's kind of a unique position to be in. And I, as a female athlete and with this sport, with not a lot of future beyond uh, the collegiate level, a lot of, uh, I guess, Olympic sports, non-basketball, non-football, non, uh, you kind of finish up and you say, oh, geez, I've, I've had my head down, I've been doing my job, and I've been on my grind all these years. Okay, what now? 
So I went and just trotted down to the, um, you know, career building site on campus. And I said, give me all your interviews. I have no idea what I want to do, but I'm highly competitive. I have a high work ethic. And, you know, you tell me, where should I go? So ultimately they said, you know what, you should look into going into sales because your skill sets and everything that you said that you're passionate about, that you enjoy doing on a day-to-day, that's where you can really harness those capabilities and have a high upside for, for doing well and high upside for your career. So that I said, hey, great. I, you know, I didn't know any better. They were the career experts guiding me along. And I interviewed with a lot of different sales companies. I ultimately got a position with uh, Sun Life Financial and they ultimately... They, we sell insurance at Sun Life. It's not necessarily knocking on doors, uh, selling to individuals, but it was an opportunity to sell through independent insurance brokers to large companies like, you know, like the companies that I work for now. They would purchase those in a group benefits package. And it was really cutthroat. I mean, you're selling to independent insurance brokers, which was like you could probably go on a Saturday and take a test. To be an independent insurance insurance broker, probably study for maybe two hours beforehand and maybe probably get certified. So it wasn't necessarily the, the level of elevation of, of the customer. So I was kind of looking to up my game. I did well in it and, um, you know, I grew, but I wanted to up my game. So I got a job. I had um, my colleague, Jasmine Norton, now Eldridge, she actually said, I, I'm in the pharmaceutical space. You should try it over here. So I, I started with Novartis and we all know Novartis or everybody in the, the biotech and pharmaceutical industry obviously knows uh, Novartis. They're a, a behemoth in the space. And I'm sure what most people that have been through a big pharma experience early in their career is it's such a critical step in the in the career progression because they have those big, robust training programs. Right. They take you through how to I uh, personality type, social styles, how to, you know, read the, the cues on the wall to see what type of person they are and what they're passionate about and how to connect and all those things that you kind of take for looking back. I'm like, I took that for granted. They shipped you off for three weeks and really put you through kind of sales boot camp 101. And thank God they did. So that was, uh, critical for my sales development and, and taking what, um, you know, if you, have you ever done any of those sales type, what your selling style is? I was a woo. I found out I was a woo when I was at Sun Life. Did you, have you ever taken one of those uh, selling no. styles? Mine was a woo, which I did not know what that meant, winning over others. But um. those are kind of, I took one of those tests and it tells you what your kind of raw capabilities are, much like a strength finder's. But then it's like, okay, how do you take that woo and apply it to a more refined skill set of how do I build on my, my competencies that could improve and how do I lean into the woo to you know, become my own little force multiplier? Mm. So that was my Novartis journey. From there, I also had a friend, he was in uh, OR sales, he was with Covidian. He was in there seeing the people with open surgeries, aiding with the medical devices in the room. And I thought that, okay, that's got to be the coolest job ever. Um, I think I want in. But what uh, a lot of people in the industry will tell you, it's really hard to transition from pharma to device. There's this perception. I don't know if you've heard this. There's this perception that 
all farmer reps are soft. They have a big high base. They're, they're coddled. They're spoiled. They get free cars. They have this huge budget. They have teammates. Um, some of that can be true sometimes, but it's not always true, right? So I, I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to try applied online. I think I'm dating myself. I believe the website was monster.com because I'm that old. <laughs> but uh, I applied on monster.com to a job at Biomet. And fortunately, my boss, who I still keep in touch with, Dave Kelleher, he um, took a chance on me and uh, fought his boss, who had that type of mentality that farmer reps are soft. And said, you know, I, I really believe in this girl and I, I think she can make an impact. And thank God for him fighting for me because I um, I transitioned into, um, it wasn't, you know, the most boring job when it comes to device. Because we all know there are devices in the office and there are devices for booked elective cases where you kind of know your schedule. This was a trauma product portfolio. So this is, I have, a, again, I'm old. I had a pager at my hip. Uh, we would be running trays around in the middle of the night. And then this is while I was at Boston. So there's a lot of obviously level one trauma centers there. But boy, did I love, I mean, I love the craziness. I love the hustle. Um, in uh, 2021, after viewing some TikToks, I've kind of self-diagnosed myself with a little ADHD. <laughs> so I think at certain jobs, especially in sales, a kind of you match up what may have formerly been a limiting uh, behavior and you kind of match it up with the right role and it's actually an enhancing uh, behavior. So I think the trauma hustle and uh, that whole just excitement to get new cases and getting with new surgeons was so freaking cool. I loved it and I still love that stage of my life to this day. So ultimately, we went, um, I, I was promoted within Biomet, and I moved back to Maryland to take on my first leadership role with Biomet and uh, led a team with that same product portfolio. And I believe it was 2010 when I first started in my first leadership role. And that was very cool. Very cool. I hearken back to a lot of the sports, you know, leadership, what I had seen my coaches do in sports, what I had done when I been in captain roles with my underclassmen or people that were just looking to get to a higher a starting role in the team. I leaned a lot on what worked during those times. And I think a lot of those things, and it works really well on my teams now if they have a sports appreciation or they understand terms and analogies. Some of my teammates who are not in the sports or my, my reps will you know, nod and maybe roll their eyes when I give them a sports analogy. They're like, yeah, 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 another sports analogy. But it always fits. I'm a very visual person. And I think I read recently that about 65% of the general population are visual learners. So I think sports put that into that visual scope of understanding what we have to do today, what we have to do long term. Like you said, um, when we were kind of chatting before we jumped on, we need a goal. We need to know what our goal is. And that can work in quarters, that can also work long-term, annually, when we talk about performance reviews, we need to know what our goals. And for me, that's all about, sports is all about you have a goal, you have a short-term goal of maybe scoring on that play, you have the long-term, longer-term goal of winning that game, and then you have a really kind of broad goal of, I want to win a national championship, or I want to win a world championship. And, you know, those goals 
have to be in place depending on you know what your goal is on that day, that week, that quarter, that year. It's all about goals, and that's how sports just it fits for me. The sports metaphors conceptually it just fits for me. For me. So from there, I won't I won't go too much more into detail. From there, I just basically have been in some more national accounts type of roles, national trainers types of roles in the orthopedic space. I've had some experience with some startups that got acquired and then we got acquired again, then we got acquired again. Those companies, we are all now Striker, started off with a new startup in ophthalmology in the surgical space called Omeros, and they are still not acquired, which is very special. And I recently joined a newer company called Trevina, again, another startup launching a brand new product in the pain space that's used in both intra-op and post-op in an acute surgical setting. So I like to kind of get, obviously I have a love and a passion for the surgical space, but for the startup game as well. I love working for startups and not being so siloed where, you know, you can come to your boss and say, hey, I have an idea. I did this research. I want to try this different segment. What do you think? And when your boss says, that's great. Why don't you put together the business plan? Why don't you put together the strategy and you can present it and we can, you know, whether that's budgeting and we can implement that plan. So I love the creativity and the many hats that you get to wear at the startup. And I think that's why I hope to remain in that type of setting for as long as I can. Wow. Your experience is amazing. You have gone from insurance sales, which is definitely not easy. (laughs) I mean, you know, and it's so competitive even today. So I can imagine what it was back then before the days of, you know, the Affordable Care Act and all of those things. Right. And then you transitioned from pharma sales to device sales. And I always like to tell people it's really hard to get a sales job with no sales experience. So saying, hey, yeah, I'm a salesperson over here, but now I want to sell this because everybody thinks that you have to be an industry insider, right? And we know that you don't have to know the product because if the product is as good as we say it is, then we can teach it to a good salesperson, right? I could not agree more. And this does come up. I know we've talked about how to be smart with sourcing and how your team has an algorithm and I will die in this hill every day when it comes to getting those raw characteristics and why, again, that's why I like to go down to the bottom of the resume because it's great to have relationships, don't get me wrong, but if you don't know how to connect with people and sell or have the grind and the work, all those things that we've seen salespeople be successful across industry industries, across specialties. It's not a coincidence that those are the same people that are successful consistently. It has to do with those core capabilities. And like you said, we can teach the technology. If we're good at what we do, which, you know, I hope we are, we can teach them. We want to get down to the core of the person that's self-driven, high energy, great work ethic, positive thinker. We can teach them the technology. We got that. And that's something that I've had to really fight for at certain companies that you know, especially in sales, it's nice to have somebody come in and sit across the table from you and say, I have a great relationship, they named drop. And, you know, that's great, but you mentioned the changes in the industry from insurance and Obamacare. You know, a lot has changed in the last 10 years just in market consolidation. And it's not as simple as, oh, you know, Bob is my friend and 
we go golf. I hear that all the time in interviews and it goes right over my head. Oh, you know what? I know what this, how this guy takes his coffee and his steak and we golf together. That may have worked in 2002, but you and I both know, especially in medical and farm sales, there's very rarely any surgeon or healthcare professional that can make any unilateral decisions. It just doesn't work that way anymore. Right. There's a committee, even at ASCs, ambulatory surgical centers, where the surgeons are the owners. They are the owners. They are the partners. They have the stake in the facility. Even they can't just bring in anything willy-nilly. They appoint an administrator. They have committee meetings with their partners to make sure they're on the same page because it's all about business. It's all about standardization and efficiency. And that relationship, you cannot rest on your laurels on that relationship. So I think it's more important to, when interviewing people and also when training them, is saying relationships are great. They get your foot in the door. They give you the platform. That's great. That's part of the job. But when you get that platform, you need to believe passionately in your product. You need to know your technology. You need to know your competitors because that relationship that gives you the platform doesn't give you the sale. That does not work anymore. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I like to say is when we think about relationships and sales, I always equivocate it to your cousin, friend, aunt, uncle, who's doing that multi-level marketing. You like them, but just because you like them (laughs) doesn't mean that you're going to buy the newest trend that they're selling today. Right. I'm going to feel guilty about not buying some ugly leggings. It doesn't mean I'm going to buy the ugly leggings. Exactly. And that's the same thing. Why these ugly leggings will make my butt look better then maybe I'll buy them. Exactly. But just because I like you, it's the, I call it the, I like my salesperson matrix, right? And just because I like you doesn't mean I'm going to buy from you. And, you know, when you talk about interviewing, people get into interviews and they're talking about, oh, where we went to college and the alumni association and all those things. But I mean, I tell everybody that I'm radically different in all things. So I don't care about that stuff. I'm going to say, tell me about the biggest deal you closed in the last 12 months. Walk me from lead to close. And literally, I just finished a round of interviews with a client and somebody, they were like beating around the bush. And then we said, okay, so once you close that, how much revenue did you get within that fiscal year? Oh yeah, we didn't make any money. I'm like, oh great. So you just shook the hand and said, we signed the contract, but nothing happened. That tells me so much more about you than the 10 people that you can take to lunch. And now you're like, well, and you also wasted 20 minutes of my life too. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And so really, when we think about hiring and finding people, it's not really that relationship piece. It's more so their capabilities. And so when I think about women in sales, this to me is something that's so important because we as women, we a lot of times don't have those relationships, right? We're not golfing. We're not hunting. Those are not the things that we enjoy doing. So tell me- As a woman sales leader, how have you been able to employ that diversity within your organization? Yeah, and I think I'm going to out myself here because I, you know, I'm all about growth and even calling myself out on some things that I've done the wrong way. And I think that's, you have to, it's maybe, again, it's the athlete in me that's used to watching game film and seeing where I can get better. And one example of that is I actually, when I was, um, In my first leadership roles, again, this is, you know, 11, almost 12 years ago, 
I would, in the few women that you had in the orthopedic device space, you know, there's probably nine men to every woman, probably, maybe even worse if I had to guess. It's gotten better now, but I used to tell any of the females that I led or that I rode along with, I would tell them, you need to know your stuff better than the men do because, you know, they do lean on their relationships. Like you mentioned, they lean on the golfing and the hunting and the, you know, the elbow rubbing and they're just not used to seeing us in there. They're not as comfortable with us. And whether they realize it or not, they hold us to a higher standard. And, you know, I said, that's not fair, but it is what it is. So we have to be better than them. Now, again, that's not okay. I mean, hopefully my old employers don't come for me here in 2021. That's not okay. That's not the way to do things. We have to challenge everyone to hold us all to the same high standard. So I've kind of had to check myself and be aware of not having my own levels of bias, even towards women. I mean, it, it kills me to even know that I have been in that space, but how to course correct, how to get better as a manager. So what I look for um, when I'm looking to employ diversity, and that means perspectives, and that means, you know, gender and race and all those things is, you know, ultimately having different perspectives so that we can have our team calls. I have a weekly team call. I think most of us all have our weekly team calls. You have to have the trust there. Trust has to be, you know, base camp one for allowing free form and sharing of ideas. But somebody who's had a different experience in any way, shape or form, whether that be industry or how they've achieved success, it's going to, they're going to share a new perspective. And now we're learning where we can collectively all benefit from sharing those new ideas and those different perspectives. But I've learned that I can, I can motivate everybody in a different way. And this is kind of how I've tried to fine tune my leadership style, which is hold everyone to the same standard, but the way that we get to our goals might be different. The way that I motivate people might be different based on their background, but I'm still holding everyone to the same high standard. So if it's the same quota, in my last assignment, it was two new accounts every quarter. That is the expectation for everybody. So that means you have might have five on your target, and we all know things shake out. You want to shoot high, right? But know that sometimes they can't get their committee together in time. But the goal was safe for everybody. Two new accounts every quarter. And if you, you exceeded it by getting more, great. But it was consistent. Now, how I get there, how I partner with everyone is actually going to be different. My 60-something-year-old rep who you know, has been doing things a certain way and maybe he does rely on more of those relationships. That's, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. If that's what's working for him, as long as he's hitting his number, that's great. And maybe what I do with him is I do like to keep an eye on healthcare trends because everything's changing so quickly. There's market consolidation. There's the PE segment that's becoming very prevalent now. I keep tabs on value-based healthcare. What's changing that changes the stakeholder, the customer's perspective, what their new benchmarks are, what their new goals are. So maybe for my maybe more tenured rep, maybe I come in and say, hey, here are the new uh, benchmarks that these customers are trying to get. Here are the improved clinical outcomes and the procedures that they're hyper-focused on getting their outcomes improved. So the, here's how we can maybe tailor our sales message to align with their new goals. So that's how maybe a more tenured guy would, is keeping a pulse on the newer things that maybe are not on his or her radar. Now, I might also have, um, and this is where I'm a little, you know, I'm used to leading teams that are more tenured than me, maybe a little bit older than me. And every now and then I get a younger person and I have a little fun with this 
So maybe my younger guy, my last time in, I've had a younger female rep and a younger male rep. I said, oh, we're going to have fun with this. So for them, if they had a big meeting and I couldn't get there because I was booked somewhere else, I might send them a really uh, pump up, like I, one of my guys liked um, Jay-Z, a public service announcement. I know that the Black Album was his jam. I knew it got him really fired up. I knew his meeting was at 10, so I sent him that, that song on Spotify, 9.30, with, you know, emojis or, you know, something that's a little bit different for a different generation. And it's just, you know, I'm still holding them all to the same standard. But the way that I engage them, the way that I inspire them, the way that I motivate them and differentiate them, empower them, is going to be different because they're completely different humans and from completely different planets at this point between somebody who's in their 60s and somebody who's in their 30s. But it's my job to figure out what that is and basically crank that up as quickly as possible to get them in the game and performing at their high level. I 100% agree with you. I think that as sales leaders, we need to have individualized coaching plans for every single member of our team. And you mentioned, you know, earlier in your career, really saying to women sales reps, hey, you have to work twice as hard to do this. And don't beat yourself up for it because that's what we were taught, right? That's what we knew. And so now what I find is instead of telling the salesperson, the saleswoman, hey, you have to work twice as hard, what we have to really do is we have to educate our colleagues and those people around us and them to say, hey, let's hold them all to the same standard. Just because John said, hey, my child is sick, I'm going to pick them up. You're like, oh, wow, that's so noble. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing that. And when a woman comes to you, Jane comes and says that, it's like, again, I mean, can't you ask your husband or your mom to do it, right? Like that's a double standard. So it's, I mean, it's, I've been pretty fortunate I would say recently, because I do think there's more hyper-awareness just within the last year. But, it, you know, again, it happens every day. I love that you said, oh, you know, we praise men for doing the stuff that a lot of the women, it's just, it's accurate. It's not okay. I think we're improving, but I still struggle a little bit with just being completely transparent about, you know, I do have kids and, you know, I call it, this is terrible, but Again, I'm just going off of what I've observed in my, the, you know, in the years that I've been out in the spaces when I come out of the mom closet, you know, when you let people know you have kids and that's not okay. And I'm, I'm kind of slowly getting more comfortable, but it's just so, it's so nuanced because not everybody is there yet. And sometimes the knee jerk reaction is to manage down to the lowest common denominator, but that's not helping any of us. And uh, I've done a couple of um, kind of female leadership forums. I did one the other day. Um, it was just on LinkedIn. It was through UNC's um, MBA program. It was about how women can advocate for themselves and negotiate higher pay, whether it be internally or for a new role. And this was a theme. It was like, we need to normalize, you know, having kids and being an effective leader and, you know, basically being a woman kicking ass and finding a way to do it all. We've always done it all. You know, we shouldn't have to hide the things that are also in our orbit because we're kicking ass, you know? And you know, the funny thing is that I used to feel that way also, like, okay, the men are all talking about their kids and doing this and that, and I would just be quiet, you know, I would engage with them. 
But now I'm just so out in the open with it. I'm like, oh yeah, my son's at home today because he's sick. Oh, yep, I'm gonna be 15 minutes late to this meeting because I have to go pick my son up from school. And my youngest son was actually kind of born in the height of my sales career. And so I was like way pregnant <laughs> out there in the field doing everything. And so after that, it just became like normal, right? Because yeah. it was like, People saw, I mean, you yeah, can't hide an eight-month pregnant belly. Just can't do it, right? Like, I guess I actually did keep the baby. The baby is, I carry the baby, and the baby is, I'm raising the baby now. And, like, I would go out, and I would be working with customers, and I would have my little bag, and I will say, where's the mother's room? And they would be like, the what? Huh? I'm like, where you pump? Like, and their face would just be beat red. And I'm like, yeah, I have an infant at home, right? Where is the, where is the weirdest place you've ever pumped? Oh, so I coined this term pumping and driving. So I would actually pump as I was going to my appointments with my little nursing cover on, pumping and driving, airports, hotel. I mean, everywhere, right? Because again, that was what was important to me. As a mother, I wanted to ensure that I got gave that to my son for the first 12 months of his life, right? And so again, it's like normalizing. And so when I'm talking to young women in sales, I'm like, yes, is it hard to have a family? Is it hard to have work-life balance? Yes, it's hard. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's not hard. But can you do it? You absolutely can. I was literally just going on this exchange with this guy on LinkedIn. He was like, well, my new schedule is I'm working from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day because I have so much stuff to do. I'm like, yeah, that makes no sense because you're not being efficient with your time. And he was like, well, every person does their own thing. And I'm like, yeah. And I didn't want to get into this whole woman man thing. And like, oh, you don't have homework to do. You don't have to cook dinner. Like, how do you even have a life? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And how sustainable is that, not even necessarily just from a physical standpoint, but from a mental and emotional standpoint? I'm sure there are some people that have done it and maybe they're in the, you know, 0.1%. But I, I don't see that, you know, if I have one of my guys on my ticket, and then whenever I say guys, I'm talking gender neutral. Guys say that, like, I'm working for 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. I would, you know, I applaud the work ethic and it's wonderful. But we also want our people to be happy and balanced and fulfilled and with us longer than a year, especially if there's somebody that has that high level of work ethic. I want to hang on to them. I want to foster that. Right. But I often, when I actually, it's funny that this came up because one of my, one of my guys just called me. He worked the conference over the weekend. He's got lots of leads coming up and it's really about, we're trying to prioritize where we go next and where we strike while the iron's hot, where we don't lose focus on some of the the longer term goals that we're working on. And he's a former college football player. I mean, he's, he's everything. I, w I wish they were all like this, but I literally told him, I said, you, you probably need to take a day off here soon because I want you here. He's such an asset to my team, not only for the business that he's building, but for the culture that he helps to build. I need him here for a long time yeah. and I want him to be happy and balanced. And sometimes those wonderful people we have to tell them, yeah. hey, just take a day off. Just take a day off and tell them, hey, if there's anything you need me to work on while you take your day, I'm happy to jump in, especially nowadays with all the, you know, we know that there's a lot of people resigning from their jobs and finding other jobs. So I know I got a good one. I got to hang on to him. I know there are recruiters coming after him. And, you know, we need to hang on. We need to retain those really good people. So I think that's the first time I've actually told someone, hey, I think you need to take a day off. But. It happened today. I, I cannot afford to lose with people like that. 
Yeah, you know, and I think that the the thing is, as leaders, we pattern the behavior that our salespeople are embodying. If they see us sending emails at eight or nine o'clock at night, they think that that's the expectation and they should be doing it also. So really, I try to practice what I preach. And so I'm not going to send you an email at eight or nine o'clock. I'm not, if my boss sends me an email at nine o'clock at night, again, I told somebody on LinkedIn today, I will respond when I start my day at 7 a.m. But I'm not going to respond to you at 10 o'clock at night because at the end of the day, what I'm doing, it might be a little different than you're doing. I, I, I say this lightly in the medical space, but I'm not saving lives here, right? So at the end of the day, your email can wait 10 hours, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. And I, I will say just in case any of my people are on and they're like, I've seen Megan... I will actually, I do have to clarify that when I take over a team and I usually kick off my teams with a PowerPoint that I send out. It basically, it establishes those ground rules. And like you said, it can wait. We're not saving lives. And there's more than one way to skin a cat. So what what I say is, listen, I might be sending emails at 8 and 9 p.m. You can wait till it's business hours. I'm not, this is not a trick. This is not a a Jedi mindset or a test. She said, you know, I don't have time to play games. I don't have mental energy to play games. If I send something out at eight or nine, it's because probably because I'm like, I don't want to forget to do this. And I'm going to jump on this right now. That's the way I operate. That's why my, my mind, you know, how I operate. But you can jump on that at 9 a.m. tomorrow. It's not a test. So yeah. it's, you know, I think a lot of it just boils down to communication. And, you know, hopefully we have the, the luxury as sales leaders to allow our performers to operate how what works for them. And as long as you're putting numbers up and you're not, you know, in our industry, I know we've listened to a couple of your podcasts, we do have compliance. So my thing is, as long as we're being compliantly creative and you're getting the job done, I'm here to empower you. And obviously the other side of the coin is that if we're not getting the job done, then yeah, we need to chat. But if you're getting the job done and you're doing it the right way, I don't care if you're if you're sending emails out at 9 p.m. at 8. I don't care. I'm here to empower you and figure out how I can keep you happy, how I can keep you motivated, and in this case with with the guy who started, how I can get you some rest. Yes, <laughs> yes. Take time rest. off. You can get up and do it again. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's different. There are lots of different ways you can be motivated in sales and how you can be successful in sales. And we just have to let our performers do what they need to do to perform and empower them. So I want to ask you as we get ready to wrap up, tell me what would be the one piece of advice that you would give a woman in sales that is looking to get into sales leadership? What is that thing that you would tell her? I would say be tenacious. Don't be afraid of hurting other people's feelings or hurting other people's egos. And this has been a journey for me I am a self-defined, raised people pleaser. That's not uniform to all women, but I know that is what a lot of the culture teaches us to be, to tiptoe around egos, tiptoe specifically male egos. And I believe when I stopped caring so much about upsetting people and offending people, I actually saw my career take off. So it's kind of the inverse of what I thought it would be. And so I would just tell them to continue to work your butt off. I would say that to anybody, male or female, 
you don't have to know stuff. You shouldn't have to know stuff better than you than the men, but you should know your stuff because again, relationships only get you that platform. You have to be passionate. And again, this goes for male and female, but you have to be passionate when you get your shot. You got to be passionate. Our customers nowadays can smell hesitancy. They can smell fear. And some of the most effective females I've seen have been incredibly passionate and they don't limit themselves in the EQ that a lot of women have. We have great EQ. Harness that EQ, harness that passion and thread that into your sales pitch. It's a force multiplier. It's not something that you should try to kind of hide away. And I think I have, um, I'm trying to kind of balance having executive presence, executive leadership presence, but at the same time, I'm a generally I'm a high energy, high passion person. You're never going to get me talking to anyone in the monotone or to tone down my, my hand expressions or my facial expressions. This is who I am. And if a man who looks a little bit different, who maybe is a little bit more monotone, a little bit more measured, you know, that's his way of doing things and that's great. But it's kind of like the don't dampen your light for someone else or don't take off the exclamation point in your email because it's deemed as less professional. Do you be yourself? Don't try to put yourself into that, you know, executive downplayed. Don't take that passion away just because you see it, you know, a lot of older white men in those leadership roles. Be yourself. Bring your passion. Don't tiptoe around egos and just kick ass every day, work hard every day, and you'll get there. And you just keep grinding and, you know, pump and drive when you need to. If you're a mom, you know, we get creative. We get creative and we get shit done. So that would be my advice is don't dampen your light. Don't try to put yourself in a box of what leaders have looked like in the past because we need to look different. We need to operate differently. And, you know, that'll be us in the future. I love it. And I'm going to wrap up that piece of advice that you just gave women in sales for one of my favorite, favorite sayings, which is thank you for your unsolicited advice. (laughs) That is what (laughs) you should tell people because everybody's going to tell you what to do or what not to do, right? How to act or how not to act. And so as a woman in sales, we're put into like a box of this is how you should do things or this is how you shouldn't do things. Or if you do this too much or that too much, you're seen as too masculine or too feminine or too soft or kind of like you said, uh, people in pharma sales are not right for medical device sales. So again, say thanks so much. I didn't ask for your opinion, but I appreciate it, right? Like you have to be true to yourself. And I think that that is really from our whole conversation and everything that we spoke about today, that's what I have seen has got you from starting out in college as a college athlete to the success that you've gotten today, being your authentic self. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much for having me. And with such an esteemed group, I can't wait to see what other female uh, leaders you have for the rest of the month. I'll be listening with uh, and waiting with bated breath. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking time today to speak with me, Megan. Thank you. Awesome. That was another episode of The Science of Selling. Be sure to tune in every single Wednesday in the month of October to hear another awesome woman in sales share her journey to get into sales leadership. And until next time, in everything you do, transform your sales. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.